There's a man walking through the forest one day and he found a young eagle. And uh, as he found this young eagle, he had, had fallen out of its nest on the tree. And so he took this young eagle and he brought it home. And he was a man who had a small farm and he had a bunch of chickens and things of that nature. And he didn't know how to care for this eagle, but he knew that this eaglet that was by itself was not going to survive by itself. And so what he did was he just decided he was going to go ahead and, uh, and care for this little eaglet. Well, this little eaglet was raised around a lot of chickens and a lot of, a lot of chickens that were not like the eagles. And, uh, and sooner or later, one naturalist came along, a friend of his, and he said, this eagle will never be able to be everything it's supposed to be if it doesn't get a chance to soar and, and fly and be an eagle. So he said, I don't know what to do. I'm just a farmer. He said, let me take it. So he took this eagle and, and he went outside the barn and he, he began to kind of give it a little lift to try to get it to, to you know, work its wings. And, and the eagle, it kind of just came down and kind of stumbled its way over to the chickens. And he did what he always done, right? Well, then he took him up and he took him a little further from the barn. And, and there, he, kind of the eagle kept looking toward the barn and really didn't do anything out of the normal, uh, he did what he always did. Then what the man, the, the naturalist decided, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to take you up to the mountain. And he did. And he took him to the mountain. And, he, and for uh, a few times he'd take him up there, he'd show him kind of that you can fly. You can, and then one day, the eagle got the, got the ability to just go ahead and fly. And sooner or later, it took some time. It took some training. But eventually the eagle flew away. And what, what shows us and the story thought is that you can be around a lot of different things in your life and you can become like those things very easily, even if you're not that thing. How many have ever become your, your environment? You ever become your environment and you didn't even realize you were becoming your environment, right? You've kind of shifted your life in a way that changed your identity. And what happens is we forget who we are. We forget what we uh, have and what we have embedded in us from the beginning. See, this naturalist, when he took that eagle up, uh, that eaglet, and took it up to the mountain, and eventually he, he would just keep telling it, stretch your wings and fly, stretch your wings and fly, every single time. But, but as long as it was within eye shot of all the chickens, it could never really become the eagle. It could never really soar the way it was supposed to soar. And I'm afraid that some of us are like that in the shoe. Can I get your attention for a moment? Because I want you to hear something very closely. I want you to hear this. Your identity will shift, whether positive or negative, in the environment that you're in. No matter what you're doing. No matter how you face it. No matter what you do. This eagle will never become a full-fledged eagle if it hangs around the chickens. Right? And some of us have been hanging around... Chickens. Right? We've been hanging around. We've never given ourselves the chance to soar. Haven't given ourselves a chance to soar. There are other ways that we find ourselves not soaring. And when we put our value in what other people think of us. Our worth. Our purpose. All of that becomes unstable. And we become a slave to everybody else's expectations. You ever been there? I've been a slave to other people's expectations a time and again in my life. 
And it is a horrible feeling because you never please everybody. Right. But if there is one I can keep my focus on, if there is one I can keep my attention on, I want you to realize here today that you can soar if you put your attention on him. You can soar if you allow yourself the opportunity. So I want to talk about the identity shift that needs to happen in the faith today. Identity shift. See, we might be tempted to find our confidence in what others think of us. And what we end up doing is we become a slave to everybody else's opinions around us. Eventually, we will let them down. How many have ever let someone down because of their expectations of you, right? They expect this of you. And some of them have never even vocalized it. Isn't that the most frustrating thing? When people have expectations for you and they never verbalize them, but yet they have the right to be upset at you? That doesn't make any sense, but... It happens all the time, right? There are times in our lives that we have to realize, don't let the noise of other people's opinions drown out your own inner voice. Don't let the noise of other people's opinions drown out that inner voice. Who is that inner voice? Not what? Who is that inner voice? The Holy Spirit, right? We walk with the confidence and the, and the verbal guidance of the Holy Spirit in our life. He impresses on us, he impresses on us what it means to change our identity, to be more like Jesus. Now, identities can change pretty quickly. How many know that makeup can change people? Right? How many ever seen makeup do miracles? Makeup miracles. Well, watch this clip. Do we have that clip? Watch this clip here. Let's watch this small clip of what miracles makeup can do. Do we have it? No? Okay, we should have a video, but it's not there. Not cute. I promise we'll have it at some point, but maybe not this moment. There are stories that shift. Matter of fact, let's go right to the scriptures then. Right? Let's go right to the scriptures. Stories that shift identities. Things that happen And stories that shift our identity. So if you would, number one, here's lesson number one. Ready? When we discover Jesus' identity, he will change ours. Is that true? When we recognize and discover Jesus' identity, he literally changes our lives. And so when we recognize Jesus for who he is, he transforms. Example number one for, for this lesson. You ready? Two blind men. Let's turn to Matthew Chapter 20. Turn with me in your Bibles. That means physically turn in your Bibles. Bring your Bibles to church, people. We use them here. Matthew chapter 20. If it's digital or not, turn there. Verse 29. Two blind men. The story is about two blind men. And Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho. A large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Isn't that like some people in the crowd always want to silence the ones that need help? Because of their own agenda. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder. That's what you need to do. 
When people want to, when people want to tell you to be quiet and you're trying to praise your king or you're trying to call upon your father, just shout louder. Just shout louder. Thank you. Just trying to prove a point. Sometimes you need to shout a little louder. You got to shout over your problems. You got to shout over those voices that tell you no. You got to shout over your situation. How many ever shouted over your situation? But sometimes you said some things that were not godly, but you shouted over your situation. Some of y'all are not admitting it to that as quickly. Y'all are admitting it first, but then you're like, oh wait, hold up. Uh, is this in recorded? I don't know. Shouted. That I did, pastor. What I said, it's not good for the room. Sometimes we need to shout a little louder. You know what shouting a little louder does? It says, what you said is not as important what I say. Right? Sometimes your praise needs to be a little louder and that's okay. Sometimes your prayers need to be a little louder and that's okay. Sometimes you just got to inject a little bit of passion in your prayer, passion in your worship. Hello? We got to get that in there. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted louder. Verse 32, Jesus stopped them and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Pastor Christian, if you could try to find that video and that uh, thing, if you can, that would be great. But watch this, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. You see, watch this. I want you to hear this, this statement and let it be something that just resonates. If you're quoting anything I said today, this may be one of them. Are you ready? Following Jesus makes you see with your heart. Following Jesus makes you see with your heart. I talked about makeup a little, little bit ago with that video. Um, and what happens is we often tend to create a mask. We, enter, we try to tend to uh, cover up what is going on in our life. And sometimes we forget that, you know what? We need to see people with our heart. Jesus saw people with his heart. He watched with his eyes, but he's seen with his heart. The heart of God sees what you can't see. Now hear me, how ironic that these two blind men saw clearly who Jesus is by saying, son of David, son of David. Because you know what they were saying? You're the Messiah. They were directly calling him Messiah. I should say, indirectly calling him Messiah, but they were calling him the one who is to save all mankind. Son of David, son of David. In other words, I know your lineage. I know where you come from. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know where he comes from? He comes from the line of David. Which means he has the rightful place in the throne. Which means he has the rightful place as Messiah. Son of David. In our lives, we can choose To look at our circumstances or we can choose to look at the son, the son of David. To call Jesus Lord was completely 
expected from those who knew who the Lord is. But those people who are lingering on the side wondering, this guy, there's something different about this man. There's something different about what he brings to the table. How many realize that everywhere Jesus went, they said there's something different there. He did things that were different than everybody else. He did things differently. And so what we realize to call Jesus son of David was virtually to acknowledge him as the Messiah, as the old prophets have foretold. And the opening and the one that in Isaiah was declared the one who would open the eyes of the blind. So he, they called upon him as the one that would open the eyes of the blind. I, I, I can't all see you completely, but I see you enough to call you Messiah. I see you with my heart. And I say to you, son of David, have mercy on us. You know, we come to God. Oftentimes, some of us, we come to church and we're like, have mercy on them. (laughs) Have mercy on them. But we forget that he should have mercy on us. See, that's where the religious spirit came in the church. When we stopped saying, have mercy on me. We started saying, have mercy on them. Because I figured some things out. I'm good. I'm good. Right? But these two blind men didn't realize... That there were people around them more blind than they are. They were blind in the physical, but they understood who the Messiah was. You could have it all together in this world and still be blind. In fact, it is a lot of times the people that have it together in this world that become more and more blind. Because everything that they want, they get it and they're good. They never need a savior. But these two blind men were seen very clearly with their hearts. You see, our world is so blind. Our world is crying, heal our bank accounts. Heal our, hear our, you know, hear our this and heal our land and hear this. Jesus offered changed identity. He didn't want them to, to any longer walk around as blind men. We don't even know their names. We don't know their history. No, they were labeled blind men. That's it. Notice how the story ends for these two blind men. Verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes. Hear me. He touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and they followed him. No longer were they going to be uh, begging for money. No longer were they going to be known as two blind men. No longer. Why? Because they had an identity shift. You can't call me what I am not. Their identity was found in their struggle. Is your identity found in your struggle? Oh, I'm that single mom. Or I'm that single dad. Or I'm that divorced individual. Or I'm that person that was beaten by my spouse. Or I'm that person that was left by my parents. My mom and dad didn't want me. My mom and dad, better yet, they had me, but they they told me I was a mistake. Shoot, I'd rather come from a broken home than live in one. What's your 
identity, is it defined by your struggle? Because your struggle can change, then what? Your struggle can change. You got to decide today, am I going to be identified by my struggle or by my Savior? I thought I'd get more amens, but I, I believe you're thinking. The only, thing, the only thing that Jesus wanted to do on this earth is get people back to the Father. That's what he wanted to do, right? He wanted to shift people's identity from where they were, who they thought they were, to who he is. Everyone look at me for a moment. I need you to understand something and understand me closely. That Jesus was on the business of changing identities every day of his life. Every day of his life. He was shifting identity. Why? When they saw the son of David, the Messiah, they followed him. Hundreds of thousands of people met Jesus and recognized him as rabbi. But not many people as the son of David. I'm telling you that we got to become more desperate for him. I'm telling you that we got to be willing to go out on a limb and say, son of David, I need you. Son of David, I'm blind. Son of David, there's no hope without you. Son of David, if nothing else goes right today, I still worship you. But we sit sometimes like, have mercy on them, Lord. When is this thing over? When is this next thing going to happen? Because I'm looking forward to that. What about this moment when there's someone next to you dying and don't know who Jesus is? You know Jesus, you have son of David in your heart. Son of David. Son of David. The lineage that clearly defines him as Messiah. Do you have the Messiah at your disposal? I do. And that changes how I worship. That changes how I love. That changes how I give. That changes how I serve. It changes everything that I do. When I realize that Jesus is all I need to change my identity. Are you defined by your struggle? See, when you recognize Jesus for who he is, he will change your identity. That's his promise to you. Are you with me? When you change, uh, when you look at your life, you recognize this. Desperation And this is lesson number two. If you're taking notes, this is lesson number two. Are you ready? Because I'm talking about three stories that shifted identity. The first one was the two blind men. The second one is this. Desperation leads to transformation. When we're talking about being desperate, are you desperate? Some of us are like, yeah, I am. But let me define desperate before you answer that completely, 100%. Are you ready? Webster defines desperate as reckless or dangerous because of despair or urgency. Now, reckless or dangerous because of despair or urgency. Now, I ask you again to take a look at that definition, take it all in, and ask yourself, is your worship desperate? Is your giving desperate? Is your serving desperate? Is your willing to be used by God desperate? Because some of you in this room, I know you personally, some of you have done some amazingly, in the, world's, in the world's eyes, ridiculous things. In the world's eyes, ridiculous. In God's eyes, 
amazing. You've done amazing things for God. It made no logical sense, but you did it. Whether it's serving, giving, loving, or honoring God in one way or another, you did something. Right? That was in the world's eyes, they would even say stupid. They would say ridiculous. They would say that was that was not logical. You know, logical sometimes is a is a touchy word for me. Because I don't live by logic. I live by faith. Right? I'm, that doesn't mean I'm illogical. I always consider logic. But I don't live by logic. Because logic would have told me don't tithe. Logic would have told me don't serve. Logic would have said you don't have enough time to do that. You don't have enough time to do that visitation. You don't have time to do this. But you know what? There's always time to love. There's always time to serve. And what happens is we come to a place sometimes where we, we're not quite as desperate. We're not quite as reckless. We're not quite as dangerous. We're not quite as urgent with our wants and what we're doing. So I know that desperate is a strong word. I know that. It carries with it vulnerability. And some of us struggle with vulnerability. Ever struggle with vulnerability? How much do I tell? Some of you wrestle with that in life groups. If you're not in a life group, you need to get in one before they end. You need to get in one, seriously. Get in a life group. Talk with someone. We have, f- we have five groups running right now. Amazing. You know, some of you have been dodging life groups because you don't want to be vulnerable. And that's understandable. But not, we can't um, excuse it. We have to find a way to let God use you. And your struggle may be somebody else's struggle. And the lack of you sharing it may, give, may be the lack of their breakthrough. I'm just going to put that. Just lay that right there. So sometimes we don't want to be vulnerable. But the New Testament is filled with desperate people. When I say desperate people, I'm talking about reckless people. Have you ever read John Fox's Book of Martyrs? Have you ever read John Fox's Book of Martyrs? It says all the martyrs from, from the New Testament church. And if you were to hear the stories of all the apostles, we read the apostles and we go, wow, how great would it have been to be this apostle? Well, some of them were thrown in boiling pots of oil. Some of them were ripped apart where they were tied to one horse, tied to another horse, their body, and then they slapped the horses to run opposite directions and their bodies were split in half. And this is real. This is real stuff. Recorded in our history. These are people that were reckless, dangerous. They, they, they understood that call. And they put their lives on the line. That's not what we, what we want to hear, right? We want to hear Christmas manger stuff, right? We want to hear the... Baby Jesus in the manger. What song was that? Don't ever sing that again, Pastor Tony. That was weird. I will never come to a presentation where you're singing that song. Baby Jesus. Don't ever do that again. But that's what we see Christianity as, right? Tiptoe through the tulips. Right? We don't see the dangerous side of it, the reckless side of it. Frankly, because some of us don't want to see it. We don't want to see how desperate the kingdom of God needs people who love him, who will chase him, even if the consequences are big. You know what has plagued the church today? Can I be honest with you? Dignified people. Dignified people. I want to be dignified. I want to be... I want to be a dignified person. I don't want to be looked upon as someone who is 
over vulnerable, needy. I just want to be a good, solid, dignified Christian. And that has hurt the church more than helped it. I want to be. But if you look at the scriptures, you look at the lame man. Let's look at that for a moment. Mark chapter 2. Jesus was again, he had entered Capernaum. And the people heard that he had come. So many gathered there. This is uh, Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. So many gathered there, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And they preached the word to them. And so they came with a paralytic. Four men carried their boy. I got you. I got you. I'll bring you to that prayer meeting. There ain't no room. So what did they do? They split the ceiling. Don't split the ceiling. We, there's other ways. Dignified people would have said, don't mess up the house of God. Don't mess up the order. Because it's Order. Undignified people, the reckless people decided it is more important to get this man to Jesus than to keep your prayer meeting on schedule. Right? Uh Uh-oh. All the people in line and type A people are like, no, we got to keep it. God is a God of order. And I understand that because I am like that sometimes too. More often than I care to share, right? God is a God of order. You think, what are we going to do? We need to get this man to Jesus. What do they do? They split the ceiling, jack up this guy's ceiling, right? And they lower him down into this prayer meeting. That would kind of throw us for a loop right now if that happened. Can you just stop for a moment imagine if we're just sitting in here and Pastor Tony's singing a song about a manger, right? Uh, and singing, all of a sudden you hear this tear, this horrible tear. And everyone looks up and there's a dude being lowered in like some sort of makeshift some might be like, oh, always at freedom, something new. What is Pastor Tony cooking up now? This is a great visual. And then he comes down by the fan and then, oh my goodness, watch the fan, turn the fans off. I want to have another issue we're going to have to heal this guy for. And you bring him, that would throw everybody off, wouldn't it? It's kind of hard to ignore that. Right, I've, I've been speaking a long time. I've been preaching a long time. And some of y'all do some very disruptive things. You don't realize it. But from where I'm standing, some of you do amazing things that I've never brought to your attention. You don't think I see it, but I see a whole lot more 21 inches above the ground than you do. <laughs> I'm just preaching the truth and it hurts. Some of you are like, rethink what I'm doing next week. (laughs) But seriously, that would throw everybody off, wouldn't it? It's hard to ignore a dude coming down from the roof. It's very hard for God to ignore your needs. Therefore, he doesn't. And it takes a radical, radical person to lower this man into this prayer meeting. They shifted everything they were doing to bring this man to Jesus. Look at me. Every eyeball in the room, look at me. What have you shifted this week? What have you shifted toward Jesus this week? In what way did you change what you were doing to to appease him? In some way, in some shape, in some form, God alters your week. What does that look like? 
If you go Sunday to Sunday where you didn't ask God to change something, you missed something. I could promise you very few things in this world. That is one of them. I could promise you if you go Sunday to Sunday and you never ask God to alter your schedule, it never was altered. But you definitely missed something. Because it's the, it's the dignified people that want to go A, B, C. And God says, sometimes you got to skip B to get to C. Watch me. Watch me. Because I may skip you to C. Just watch me. Right? But if you never ask him, it's kind of hard to get an answer for something you never asked. God, use me, but you never ask him how. What can I do for you right now? Are you getting this? We say, God, I want to be used by you, but, I ne- but we never stop and say, God, what are you doing th- with this right now? What are you showing me right now? What can I do for you right now? These people, there was transformation because there was desperation. They were desperately, uh, and they decided they were going to lower this man. And you know what? Jesus saw their faith. He saw the paralytic, and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. What? Okay, so you're in the meeting. This man is, they lowered him. He's jacked up, right? He cannot walk. He cannot do anything on his own. These four men lowered him into this prayer. And you know what Jesus says? Your sins are forgiven. That doesn't make any sense in logic terms. Because we, we want to go, no, 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 that's not, I didn't come for the sins part. I can't, I, 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 I can't walk. I can't do anything for myself. Oh, okay, maybe he can't even speak. Maybe they're lowering him and they hear Jesus. Say, oh, shh, he's talking, he's talking. They're lowering him. And, right, and all of a sudden they go, what did he say? What did he say? He said his sins are forgiven. What? Did you not tell him that he's lame? That's why we brought him? That's like going to the emergency room with a head trauma and then trying to deal with your hangnail. That's how we look at it in the logic, right? Head trauma, bleeding all over the place, right? And we're like, so how are your nails right now? I see you got a bit of a hangnail. Let's get the nurses over and take a look at that, see how we could fix it. That would seem absurd, wouldn't it? Why? Because there were more pressing matters. Somebody should be pressing matter, right? Somebody better take care of this man. He's got issues. Not a hangnail. Not a hangnail. There's more pressing matters. Jesus was addressing pressing matters. The issue was not that he was paralytic. The bigger issue was he hadn't had his sins forgiven. So Jesus was handling the bigger issue. The long-term issue. That's why he led with that. In the same way, I'm going to deal with your head trauma and then other issues that after that. But we got to stabilize the patient, correct? I'm not a nurse, but I know that. I watched enough medical shows. I'm pretty educated. I don't like to admit it, but I am. All the shows must be right. Deal with the pressing matters, most urgent matters first, right? That's exactly what Jesus did. Shifted. Because when you recognize who Jesus is, your identity and everything changes. So... Jesus takes care of what's important, heals the soul first, then he deals with the man. No longer was the man's identity found in the fact that he could not walk. He touched the man, the lame man started to walk again, but his sins were forgiven. 
Are you getting this? So how about you? Are you desperate for change? Because many of us, we do the same thing. Let me ask you, are you desperate to be the person Christ wants you to become? Do you realize that there is no other solution to your sin problem? Do you realize that no one else can answer your addictions? Do you realize that no, there is no other way to heaven? Friends, there is a very real heaven and a very real hell. People don't want to talk about it, but it's real. And when Jesus cracks that eastern sky, he's coming back again. And he's coming back for a bride that serves and loves him. So here's my third point, lesson number three. Transformation leads to thanksgiving. When Jesus transforms a life, get this, an identity of thankfulness happens. You ever lived your life in a thankful form? When Jesus transforms a life, that's what happens. So we look at example number three, the lepers. Let's look at that, Luke chapter 17. There's three stories, three separate stories where Jesus did something. Watch this. Now this way, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. This is Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. And he was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out with a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Watch this. They were cleansed on the road to obedience. The Bible never said at that moment they were healed and then they went. Read it again. Look at it. They were, they were obedient by going where Jesus said to go. And while they were going to where Jesus said to go, they were healed. When they showed up at their destination, they were healed. That shows you that there are times that healing is a process. It's a process of living obediently sometimes. Right? I don't know. I don't know how else to put this. But, but the, we realize that we in our lives put ourselves in a place sometimes where we mumble lyrics to songs and worship and we casually toss some money and we distracted but we serve and all these things is any of that desperate is any of that real because i want you to understand something all of it listen to me right now if you hear anything i said listen to me right now everything we do sunday after sunday after sunday is in direct praise and thanksgiving for what he has done everything that we do Every lesson that we teach these kids back there. Every way that we love your little, little ones that are in, the, in there uh, right now screaming and tossing toys at each other. Every one of them that we're loving on. And you, week after week, you sit in these chairs and the word of God is being preached. Everything we do is because of praise and thanksgiving for what he's done. Listen, decide today not to mumble through the lyrics. Decide today not to casually just throw some money at God so they can leave you alone. Decide today not to casually I'll serve on occasion because, hey, I don't want to seem like I'm ungrateful. But desperately love him. In everything that you do. Let your identity be found in who he is. Not by your situation or even what you've done. Right? Because we can, it, you know, your identity could be found in something good but not godly. Did you know that? 
You can be a philanthropist. You can be someone that, that really helps a lot of people, right? And you can give a lot of money, but none of that will get you to heaven. You can be known as something good. But I don't want to be just known as someone that's good. I want to be known as a godly man followed after God. Even if I said some things that, that are hurtful but true, I'd rather tell you the truth and let you work through that than to sugarcoat this thing. And you walk right through these doors again the same way you came. Church, hear me. There is no freedom without transparency. And there is no, there is no breakthrough without desperation. Did you get that? There is no freedom without transparency. And no breakthrough without some sort of desperation. So here's my thought to you here today. Because I want to give you three quick thoughts. And here it is. The mask you wear is not even close to who God has created you to be. I have them up on the screen. Three simple thoughts, and I'm going to do this illustration here. The mask you wear is not even close to to who God created you to be. Because we all wear masks. Raise your hand if you ever wore a mask before. Figuratively and physically. We've all worn masks. Secondly, you're a masterpiece created by God. You are unique, valued, and are His. And third, your identity is found in Christ alone. He changed you when you became a follower of him. And this is where we come to as Jay comes to play here. Um, I brought an illustration that I wanted to share with you here. And it's a simple one. Um, And we have our lives here represented. And some of us have fizzle in our lives, yes? Who has fizzle in their lives? Got some fizzle? right. We got fizzle in our lives. This represents here our lives as it is. And ironically, it's black and really dark. And, and the scripture talks about darkness filling our hearts, sin. Let me get your attention for a moment. Real closely. Follow closely. We have an element that happens when we're born and that sinful nature is ugly. And we think, how can I change that? How could I be different? How can I be not me <laughs> right now. You ever thought to yourself, how could I be like not me right now? Because right now, me really is rough. And so we look at the element of something clean, something bright, something white in our lives that represents life and light. And so what happens is when we introduce things to our lives we just don't want it to shake up too much how many of you ever thought to yourself i want to do this christian thing but i really 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 don't want to change anything i do maybe you don't admit it i just want to be good just want to be good i'm here to submit to you this thought here today that identity shift means when you introduce christ into your life whatever's inside erupts Something changes. Something has to change. You cannot introduce Christ without something changing. And this right here represents the light of the gospel in our lives. And and how dark we often are in and of ourselves. When we introduce something more, there's something that happens that just erupts. You cannot introduce Jesus and not erupt with something more. It has to come from, it has to come out. Something inside erupts. It has to, by nature. It just 
has to, because I'm telling you today, right now, that there's not a single person in this room that you can identify, bring Jesus into the equation, and everything stayed the same. Everything that's within you bubbles and changes, and it affects everything around you. Are you with me? It affects everything around you. Stop thinking that you could introduce Christ and casually get rid of some things. There's nothing casual about what you just saw. Is there? But many of us, there are times that we don't see Jesus as changing our lives this way. When you introduce Jesus, that changes things. So I ask you today, in what way, shape, or form have you found yourself changing your identity in Him? Because I believe every one of you in this room, in one way, shape, or form, God wants you to change. See, do you know who you are? As the worship team comes, do you know who you are? Bow your heads all across this room. And let's pray. Father, I pray that every person at the sound of my voice would know who they are in you. Lord, I pray today that no one would try to introduce Jesus without recognizing. We can't introduce Jesus without an eruption and a change inside of our lives. Father, change us, we pray. In Jesus' name.